And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. One of my favorite poets is the late Mary Oliver, who often wrote poetry that reflected on the beauty of nature, but she also occasionally wrote poems that reflected on her Christian faith. She has a poem that considers this story of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. She writes, Why worry about the loaves and fishes? If you say the right words, the wine expands. If you say them with love and the felt necessity of that love and the felt ferocity of that love, the fish explode into many. Imagine him speaking and don't worry about what is reality or what is plain or what is mysterious. If you were there, it was all of those things. If you can imagine it, it is all of those things. Eat, drink, be happy. Accept the miracle. Accept, too, each spoken word, spoken with love. The thing about poetry is this. Each poem is like stained glass, like these exquisite stained glass windows. Depending on the time of day, when you hold them up to the light, you will see different colors, different shading, as the light plays on the glass with different intensities. They never look exactly the same way twice, neither do poems. The same is true for much about the life of Jesus as told in the Gospels as well. Take the parables, for instance, which we have considered over, often over the last few weeks. Every time you hear or read a parable, you can see or hear something you have never seen or heard before. There are so many layers just waiting for you to uncover them. The same can be said for the miracle stories of Jesus. Each miracle has many layers. And each time you come to the story of a miracle of Jesus, you may understand it differently, understand a new lesson, a new facet of its meaning. Every time you hold it up to the light of your life or the light of the life of the world, you are literally going to see and learn something new. I like Mary Oliver's opening question in her poem, why worry about the loaves and the fishes? Too often, it seems to me, our modern minds get caught up in the mechanics of this or any other miracle of Jesus. Our rational, logical, post-enlightenment, scientific minds search for the rational, logical, scientific explanation that will allow us to feel comfortable with the miracle stories. Biblical commentators even fall prey to this desire to understand the mechanics of the miracles. So you will read some commentators who declare this as a supernatural miracle resting solely on the divine power of Jesus to multiply the loaves and fishes to feed a crowd of about 10,000 to 12,000 people when you factor in women and children. Other commentators will talk instead about how Jesus' healing and preaching and compassion on that day 
caused the crowd to respond with compassion of their own and to reach into their pockets and travel bags and pull out the meager food they had brought with them and share that food with others. And in the end, this act of sharing meant no one went hungry, and there were even 12 baskets of leftovers when all was said and done. But this kind of searching after the how of this miracle completely misses the point of the story, it seems to me. So this morning, I want us to consider three other aspects of this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. I want us to think together about the motive for the miracle, its spiritual meaning, and what it calls us to do and believe as disciples of Jesus in this day and age. First, the motive. Matthew tells us that just before this story, Jesus received the news of the death of John the Baptist, who was beheaded by Herod. This news affected Jesus deeply. According to some traditions, of course, John was the cousin of Jesus, but regardless of the family connection, John had been the one to baptize Jesus in the Jordan River and was one of the first to recognize him and name him as the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus grieved the death of John the Baptist, and when he got the news, he felt the need to draw apart from the crowds and spend some time alone in prayer in order to grieve this terrible loss. Of course, the crowds heard where Jesus had gone, and they set out to follow him there on foot. This crowd, it seems, some 5,000 men plus women and children, was filled with a great many people in need of healing. So Jesus, in spite of his own personal need for privacy to rest and to grieve, felt deep compassion for the crowds and spent the entire day healing them, reaching out and touching them with his hands and with his love and grace and healing power. At the end of that long day, the disciples were worried about being able to provide for the vast multitude, and they urged Jesus to send them away so that the crowd could provide for themselves. But Jesus, even though he must have been exhausted after so many hours of healing, even though he still needed that time apart to pray and to grieve, Again, he felt compassion, and he told the disciples that they need not send the crowd away. Instead, he told his followers, you give them something to eat. Jesus looked with compassion on the crowd and recognized that they were a people with a deep hunger, not just physical hunger and growling stomachs. They were hungry for love, for mercy, for community, for healing, for hope, for grace, for meaning, for justice, for relationship with God, for a depth of life and joy only Jesus could offer. And the same is true for us, of course. Jesus looks on each one of us with deep love and compassion. And he sees the unique hunger that is inside each one of us, and he wants to fill our hunger with the love, the hope, the life only he can give. 
What did you walk into this sanctuary hungry for this morning? Are you hungry for hope? Are you hungry for love and a sense of community? Are you hungry for redemption, for forgiveness, for comfort in the midst of your own grief? Are you hungry for a healing that goes beyond just the physical? Are you hungry for joy, for meaning? Jesus sees and knows whatever your own personal hunger is, and he, wants, he does not want to send you away. He wants you to come to him and allow him to fill you in all of the many ways only he can. Second, let's take a look for a moment at the spiritual meaning of this particular miracle. Now it has many spiritual meanings. Remember that stained glass metaphor, but at least one of them is this. We so often look at our lives and at the world and at the church with eyes that see only the scarcity around us. But Jesus looks at our lives and at the world and at the church and sees only abundance. The disciples were overwhelmed by the needs of that vast crowd that day and in their fear that they were not enough and that their meager resources were not enough, they wanted to send the crowd away. Now, I don't know about you, but I understand this completely. We look on the world and the church and our own lives so often with this sense of scarcity, with this fear that there is not enough of anything, that we do not have enough gifts and talents, enough energy, enough courage, enough love, enough grace to meet the needs around us. We live with a fear so often that the church does not have enough people, enough money, enough volunteers, enough programming, enough space, enough of that same courage, enough vision to live into the call to us as the body of Christ on this corner of Birmingham to participate in the building up of God's kingdom. The world, we fear, does not have enough goodness, enough kindness, enough faith to move toward God's kingdom. And because we operate out of this feeling of scarcity, we can become static, paralyzed, fearful, complacent. We can begin to hoard what we do have out of fear of running out of resources for ourselves. We can withdraw into places of safety rather than venturing out into the world to meet the world's deep hunger with the living, breathing, dynamic gospel of Jesus Christ. We can live squarely as citizens of the kingdom of this world rather than living as citizens of the kingdom of God and living by God's values. But Jesus does not see us or the church or even our broken world in the same way that we see it. Instead of scarcity, Jesus sees only the abundance of God waiting to flow through us and through the church into the world. Nadia Bolz Weber wrote about this particular miracle story in this way. She said, when I rely only on my own strengths, 
When I think I have only my small, stingy heart from which to draw love for the people around me, when the waters are rough and storms are real and I am scared, filled with fear of what is happening or not happening in my life, my home, my work, when I'm filled with fear that I don't have what it takes to live as God wants me to live, I have forgotten about Jesus. My Jesus, who's making something out of my nothing and walking towards me in the storm. That's our guy, she says, the man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, friend of scoundrels and thieves, forgiver of his own executioners, resurrected on the third day, the great defeater of death and griller of fish and the savior of sinners. And that leads us to the call of Jesus, to each one of us found in this miracle story. After Jesus said, you give them something to eat, and the fearful, scarcity-minded disciples said, what in the world are you talking about? We only have five loaves and two fish, and there are 12,000 hungry people here. Jesus says, bring what you have to me. And then Jesus takes what they bring him. He blesses it. He multiplies it. He breaks it. And he gives it back to them. And then he sends them out to feed the hungry multitude. And in the end, there is more than enough with plenty left over. Bring what you have to me. My friends, it is so easy to let ourselves feel that we are inadequate, that we do not have the right set of gifts and talents, we do not have enough material resources to do what we would like to do, we do not have enough energy, enough compassion, enough grace, enough love, enough hope, enough courage, enough faith to do the miraculous, transforming work of the kingdom that Jesus calls us to do as his disciples. But like Nadia said, when we fall into that fearful mindset as individuals or as a church, we have forgotten about our Jesus, who is always making something out of our nothing. God does his best work, scripture tells us, when he is creating something out of nothing. The whole cosmos, Life in a womb that before was only barren. Loaves and fishes where it seemed that there was not enough. And even resurrection and new life out of what seemed to be only a dark and sealed tomb of death. We are not in this work alone, Jesus wants us to remember. We are in it together. The disciples worked together to distribute the food that day, and much later, after Jesus' death and resurrection, they worked together to spread his gospel all over the world, and they enlisted others to join them in that work. And my friends, today, we are engaged in this work together, and we do not only have each other, 
we also have Jesus, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit working within us and among us, and sometimes by the grace of God, when we allow it, even through us in the world. Bring what you have to me, Jesus says, and I will bless what you bring me, no matter how inadequate it may feel to you. I will bless it, I will multiply it, I will give it back to you, and then I expect you to take what I have given back to you out into the world and use it for the good of God's kingdom. Today, when we come to this table, remember that Jesus has prepared this feast for you. It may seem small, just a tiny piece of bread and a very small cup, but Jesus has blessed it, broken it, poured it out, and Jesus will multiply what is here. And once you have received this feast, he will send you back out into the world to share the love and the grace he has poured into you, to share the bread of life he has given to feed a hungry world. You have more than enough. This church has more than enough because of our Jesus, who will take what we bring him and bless it and multiply it so that in the end, all can be fed with plenty to spare. Can you just imagine what Jesus can do with the likes of us if we will just trust him and allow him to use us, he will do impossibly more than we could ever hope or imagine, my friends. Bring what you have to him and then go where he sends you as a church and as individuals into the world and just watch what he will do in you and through you. Thanks be to God. Amen.